This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title of our message this morning is The Hebrew Mother. We're going to be looking at four primary Hebrew words. The first one that we're going to look at is woman, which means literally from the Hebrew what comes out of fire or what comes out of man. Then we're going to look at the the word mother, which actually means strong water. And then we will look at thirsty. And the definition of thirsty is hooked by strong water. And finally, we're going to look at the word fear, which to no surprise means what happens when there is no mother. So stay with us as we explore how these four key Hebrew words tie into the modern mother of today. We also have some personal challenges that are going to come for the woman and for the man and how we can build a true Hebrew mother in our society today. We sure hope you enjoy the message. Uh, Open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah is, well, he's got a lot of, a lot of uh, little and big things associated with him. But one of the titles that Jeremiah has has something to do with tears. Does anyone remember how the world for generations to come have remembered Jeremiah? The weeping prophet. Now Jeremiah also was the longest serving prophet in the history of the Bible. So, that's a pretty significant thing because there, there's some things being said there between the lines that are not actually being said to us in this print. Why was Jeremiah called the weeping prophet? Any guesses? Those of you who have read Jeremiah a couple times have probably already seen it a couple times at least. Why? Why was he called the weeping prophet? Because he wept over the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, how's he different than Isaiah or Ezekiel or whoever? These these guys were men of God. They were passionate about what it is that God gave them. I believe if we were to listen to Jeremiah today, I think as he would talk, he would be fighting tears. I have served with and under leaders who are constantly crying as they're teaching. There is a special, special connection between a mother and a son in preparing the character that was already formed inside that child. I would love, in fact, that's one of the 
things I want to talk to Jeremiah about, maybe even have the privilege of talking to his mother. Mothers know if these little boys have got some kind of special anointing or commissioning upon their lives when they're very, very little. So I want to show you something. We just watched a video that appears to be just kind of cutesy, cutesy. You know, you're about halfway through the video and you realize, oh, I know what's coming. I know who the angel is. And then the last few slides, you start to figure out, oh, yeah, it's none other than mother. But there's a message in that little video. The message is they started at a place, they were sent to a place, and then they were actually born into sin, and then they had to go through the process of being reintroduced back to the Savior in order to come back to heaven. Many churches and denominations believe this to be absolute doctrines, that God knew us before we were born, and then there's others that do not. And those are Christians, for example, that support abortion. This is the number one passage we're going to read right now that completely there is no Christian walking the face of the earth that can use abortion and believe this passage. There's no way. So let's read it. We are going to start at verse 11. No, we're not. We're going to start before that. We were in chapter 1. Verse 4, it says, Now the word, the, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, I formed you in the womb. I knew you. And before you were born, I conse consecrated you. I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. So before he was actually in the womb, there was already a, a, a patriarch consecration put upon this young man. This is like John the Baptist flipping over in his mother's womb when, he, when she was in the presence of the Savior. There's stuff going on inside the womb and even before the womb that we have absolutely no clue of. Another classic story is the twins. How did they come out of their mother's womb? Fighting. For first place. Was there a little ribbon involved? What was the little ribbon? But what was it? Who was born first? This is in the womb. Who did this? Who did this miracle? We have the tendency to view life when man determines it is life. And God says, Oh, you have no idea. And none of us here, I don't care how much we've read the Bible or studied the original text, we do have no clue what goes on in heaven before birth. But this we do know. There's a window being given to us that God knew Jeremiah. God formed Jeremiah. 
God gave him a mission before he was even conceived, before he was a twinkle in his daddy's eye. It says, Then I said to the Lord God, Behold, I do not know how to speak, because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. You see, what Jeremiah was caught up in was the simple fact that he was human. And God never approaches, at least from what we can find in Scripture, he never approaches a young man until after his bar mitzvah. After David had his bar mitzvah, God told Samuel to come and pour oil on him. Jeremiah was just finishing, finished up his bar mitzvah, and now he's considered a man. Because God is not going to put a man in the position of serving two masters. If you don't know what a bar mitzvah is, it is, a, it is a commission given to a patriarch to give to the father, from the father to give to the son to say, you are a man, but you shall never lose your sonship. Not sonships. Sonship. So this, this is a commissioning process that is taking place here, and God is saying to Jeremiah, because he's all caught up in his own humanness as a young man, I, 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 I can't do it. Remember when Moses was studying around saying, send my brother Aaron because I can't speak? Some people believe he had a stuttering problem. Some people believe he had a fear problem. Who cares? We're frail and human. God says, I will touch you. I will put the words in your mouth. Of course, as you know, the passage goes on. It says, God therefore stretched forth his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth. Burned them. He put a permanent reminder on Jeremiah's lips that he will fill his mouth with words. In other words, this is all about God. Jonah is another story. I mean, he goes through his whole life up to whatever age he was. Most people believe he was about 30 when the book of Jonah was, was uh, unfolding in front of us. But whenever it was, we do know this is that Jonah was just going on about his life and all of a sudden he hears the Lord at whatever age that is. And he fights the Lord and he gets on a different ship and he takes off in a different direction. Of course, then God appoints a storm. God appoints, and, and if you read the book of Jonah and count the number of times, and I'm not going to give you the number because it's kind of fascinating to do the research on, count the times where God says, I appoint everything from a rotten tree to a storm. Meaning God's in full control of a commissioning of a child. Whatever age it comes out, does not necessarily mean you've missed a bunch of years. For example, Ronald Reagan accomplished his most significant work after the age of 70. And I can go on and on with stories. From Abraham Lincoln to a janitor. Age has nothing to do with God. Commissioning and being consecrated does. So how does God use these mothers? How significant are these, these mothers in this process? 
very, very significant. In fact, oftentimes you won't find a whole lot said about the father. You see and hear a whole lot said about the mothers. Remember the story of Titus and the story of Timothy? And the connection that Paul made in respects of what faith these mothers had and how he is associating them with this faith? Faith comes through mothers. Doctrines come through men. And don't ever forget that. And without those two, you either have an emergent faith or a legalistic faith. They have to stay together. Therefore, you have to have a proactive mother who understands the dynamics of what it means to be a true Hebrew woman. But let's start out by looking uh, at the Hebrew mother. But first of all, when you think of your mother, what is the most vivid memory? Don't just pick some safe memory. What is the most vivid memory of your mother? Sacrifice? Sacrifice? Giving? Comfort. Comfort. Loving. Loving. Anger. Anger. And mine is denial. Now there are many positive traits that I hang on to this very day of my mother. But the very first one that comes to mind is she was always in denial. Until she met Jesus Christ, which was shortly after I met Jesus, that was her way of coping and handling life. Is it just simply did not exist. You changed the story. So, let's break this down a little bit. Woman from the Hebrew means what comes out of fire or what comes out of man. Man and fire are the same thing. So when you talk about the fire in the belly, it's talking about the man, the doctrines. Another word for man is doctrines. It is structure. It is, it is basically what is built, the, the stuff that is used to build upon the foundation to build the house, to build the temple of God. But mother is what comes out of the man. That would be a duh. I was joking with Pastor Joel yesterday, and uh, he, there's a guy in town, as you know, that has these unbelievable ribs that I've never tasted. But he had two orders of ribs there, and I went to grab them from him just as a joke, and he got this serious look on his face like, don't, don't make another move. And his wife said to me, oh, you are treading on dangerous territory here. So we kind of joked a little bit, and he's walking away, and he says, and by the way, these ribs are for Mother's Day. I said, that's a great idea. Have a, have a barbecue rib, you know, dinner after Mother's Day every year. Well, see, all the jokes and whatever, most Christians know that woman comes from man. But very few follow it the rest of the way through. The rib is the weakest part of a man. And when I was being taught karate, my sensei used to say, only when you have to truly put the man out 
do you use this technique? And so here's what he taught me. Okay, I'm going to do it on you, Phil, if you want to stand up. You're going to lose a rib today. So just kind of come at me slowly like that okay. with, with the punch. Okay. okay, he taught me this where you come and you just snap off the elbow and then Ooh. you come in here oh, yeah. and you puncture a lung by breaking the rib. He's out. Now he's going to live. He have a hand going one way and he's going to live. But that was a technique he taught me because he says that is the weakest part of man. He says, what they're going to teach you is that get him in the yeah. private area. But it's not true. He said that will only make the man angry. Hit him in the head. It'll only make him angry. So there is natural truth to this. There's supernatural truth to this. So when woman is called weaker than man, it means she is the rib. So you can bring a man down. Satan can take, snap, and go in and hit the rib, hit the woman, and the man is going to fall into sin. He proved that in the garden. So this is not a new technique. It's as old as the garden. So we have these two words stay together. We have strong, fire, or, or um, well, I won't go into that. There's a lot of way these two symbols are used together, but it basically means fireman, okay? So this can be used in a negative way, strong chaos, or it can be used in a very positive way, like fire of the Holy Spirit. But we'll talk about that again in a few minutes. And then what comes out of? So woman is simple and simply put what comes out of fire. Mother means strong water. There is no other biblical Hebrew definition for mother. Not only a I search, which means nothing, but there are no other references. And I've asked, there's only five key Hebrew scholars in the world today that understand pectoral Hebrew, this stuff. One of them, thankfully, we have an association with, but he said there is no other word to describe woman than strong water. He says I can connect the flood to this. I can connect every symbol of water connected to mother. So when God gave us the natural things, this is, this is 1 Corinthians, God gave us the natural things to understand the supernatural. If someone remembers where that verse is, it'd be good for us to make note of. But God gave us these natural things to understand the supernatural. And we will find that he will use them often. Okay, now thirsty is hooked by strong water. Convert it over and you have thirsty, hooked by a strong woman. So therefore, you can walk that through as far as you want to walk it through. There is a great deal 
of sin in the world because of this statement. There are falling homes, there's falling churches, there's falling colleges, there's falling uh, nations because of men who are hooked by strong women. And if a mother does not understand what it means to be a Hebrew mother, she will use her bent to hook men to lead them away from being strong Hebrew males. It's everywhere in life. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe in this supernatural principle, go look at the natural. Because it's there. Fear is what happens when there is no mother. Which is what creates thirst. What happens when there is no mother, no water. These four Hebrew words that I am giving you explains the power of a woman. So what happens when there is no mother is someone who ends up with a bucket load of fear. You say, well, I had a good mother and I am bound by fear. I would question that. That would tell me that you had a mother that was bound by fear herself who had good traits. Do you understand the difference? I believe I had a good mother, a faithful mother, a very loyal mother, but I believe my mother was bound by fear. And that gets passed, that bucket gets passed over to the children no matter if they try to deny it or not. So we have woman, we have mother, we have thirst, and we have fear. Now let's take a look at these. Three types of mothering. <clears throat> Number one is too much. What this develops in the boys is a mama's boy. Oh man, they may be attracted to guns and superheroes and kicking things. In fact, I believe mama boys make perfect bullies. They appear to be strong and scary. But in reality, they're mama boys. Because they had a mother who did too much mothering. Now I can tie the father thing in there, but we're going to hold that off till Father's Day. Uh, because between now and Father's Day, we're going to do a whole series on women. And then we're going to do a whole thing on fathers, which is going to lead us right into our final study that we are going to do on the role of all of us within the church. And we'll be tiring, tying in the Experiencing God messages with this very, very soon. So too much produces mama's boy in the, in the sons and little girl with the curl in the girls. So... Someone explain to me what the little girl with the curl means. When she was good, she was very good, and when she was bad, she was good. Oh, yeah. So they know how to put off this image of, I am a good girl of my good mother. But you cross them? Oh, boy. 
So what happens is Satan loves matching up mama's boys with little girls with the curl. Because he knows it's, it's going to be a disastrous marriage. And it's going to be next to impossible to survive that marriage without the grace of God being poured all over it every single day of that marriage. It can survive, but they easily don't. Because the mama's boy has to be taken care of all the time. So he's attracted to a little girl with a curl. Pretty, flamboyant, lots of personality, but you cross her, you're in trouble. So he actually marries the little good girl and the curl. And then a few months, years after they're married, he gets to see the other side. Feels trapped. Well, we have to talk about, when we do start with the father stuff, we're going to talk about the weaknesses these men have in dealing with the little girl with the curl. Because God's grace is still on the little girls with, with the curl just like God's grace is on the mama's boys. I am a mama's boy. I grew up a mama's boy. So I understand the principle. But God's grace is there to turn me into a man, to turn her into a woman, a biblical woman. So these labels are not to say, oh, well, that's who she is or that's who he is. Oh, no. You need to understand how Satan uses this. These are from the Hebrew. I'm not making this stuff up for a slide. And I'm going to show you some of the positive Hebrew words associated with woman today, but next week and the next, well, next several weeks, we're going to look at some not-so-nice Hebrew words. And then we're going to do the same thing with the men. Number two, to little mama, it turns a man's man. This was Esau and Jacob. Jacob was a mama's boy and Esau was a daddy's boy. And I can guarantee you when I get to heaven and have a talk with her, which is it's another one of my items on the list, I want to ask her, if I'm even going to need to, is that what was going on? that she didn't have a dynamic relationship with Esau. I think I'm going to hear that's correct. And did you have too much of a dynamic relationship with Jacob? Almost like he was a husband. To where you would literally deny your husband for the sake of the blessing of your husband. Oh, excuse me, your son. I think I'm going to hear yes. Man's man, Esau. Mama's boy, Jacob. God still used it, didn't he? The lying, stealing, cheating that took place in that story, God still used it. With the girls, they had the tendency to be a seducer, hooking the men. That doesn't always mean in a bad relational way, if you know what I mean. It can be just hooking them to lead them away from making that decision. It can be that good looking. But it's not honest. 
nurturing the proper way is a balance between respect of the male and the female design. Makes sense, doesn't it? Design. Not respect of male-female. It's actually the respect of male-female design. And there's a, there's a very big difference. Okay, here's what men do with this. Too much is they demand that women are to care for them. So that can turn into abuse from demanding things over and over and over and over or that life circles around them or whatever. A lot comes under number one. Number two is too little is uses women to meet their needs and that usually develops immorality, abuse, and indulgence. The world is filled with men like this. But here's the problem. What usually happens is that the women get it confirmed in their soul that there's most of the men out there fall under this category right here. So that gives them excuse to take over because I've heard it, I cannot tell you in 34 years of counseling people how many times I've heard the woman say, if I don't make the decision, it won't be made. They don't realize that no decision is a decision. And if you default on not doing anything as a woman, he has made a decision. And God will honor you and not discipline you versus then he can go after the man. But as long as the woman is consistently taking the responsibility to make the decisions, God is obligated to bring discipline to the one who made the decision. Does that make sense? So the best way to not to be disciplined by God as a mother, wife, is don't make the decision. Because God will bring discipline to those who make the wrong decision, whether they are male or female. So it appears these males are getting away with things. The reason why it appears that way is because God always goes after the decision maker. It's in his book. Well, men figure that out. So they go passive. I'm not going to ruffle her feathers. Whatever you think, honey. Whatever you want, honey. Whatever you think is best, honey. Well, you have the ability to make the decision. He doesn't want the responsibility. Instead of just saying no or yes. Then he has to bear the blessing or the consequence. Number three. Nurturing is caring for women as if they are a gift from the Creator. Again, the emphasis put upon creation, design, which is pre-established before birth. That's why I wanted to read you that passage. There is no globalized woman, globalized man, liberal woman, liberal man, that is going to change that fact that God established this before conception. No one is going to be with excuse. Nobody. Now I've heard a lot of Christians sit in my office or email me justifying with scriptures homosexuality, female pastoring, female leadership, abortion, on and on and on using the very scriptures of God to prove their point. 
when I bring them the Jeremiah passage, they have no clue what to do with it, nor do pastors. Keeping in mind, 46% of the pastors in America believe in abortion. We are moving more and more toward a corrupt, depraved church. The statistics I'm still waiting on, supposedly Barnes is supposed to be giving these statistics out because there's a new thing happening about female pastors, but I am not going to be surprised that it's going to be over 80% of the churches in America are supporting female pastors. I'm not going to be surprised. I can tell you four denominations that in my lifespan did not agree with female pastors that do today. So it's moving very quickly because God knows the truth because he is the truth and Satan knows the truth too. But he hates it. He doesn't want to have men supporting women as a special gift from a creator who pre-established her design. Here's the result <clears throat> of being a poor mother. You will pass this down to your children, whether it is male or whether it's female, it doesn't matter, it's just your children. You will pass lust immediately down to your children. Lust is, I have to have that toy. Don't, don't go tying this in with running off with the neighbor's wife. It's, I have to have this toy. They're in a grocery store. Can I have that candy bar? Can I have that action figure? Can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I? Lust starts when the child is being breastfed. Too much, too little. Well, how am I supposed to know how much to breastfeed my child? That's why God gave us mothers, grandmothers, who learn the hard way instead of the mother thinking they can figure it out on their own. So lust is the very first thing that's passed down to the children because I want, I want, I want. Satan may be thinking down the road when this young man gets married or this young woman gets married or doesn't get married because there's such thing as Christian lust. It's all the goody-goody, do-good kinds of stuff that's in our church today. They may not be running off with the pastor's wife, but it's all this goody-goody, two-shoe stuff that's going on in the church, and it's nothing more than the lust of power and control. That's what Paul was very quick at correcting. Good flesh. And this means from the Hebrew, these quotes that you're going to be getting from here on out are actually from the Hebrew. So lust means strong nail that binds. Remember we talked about the nail having every form of sin inside the nail? That nail is what binds you to your own cross that you can't be set free from. That's lust. I can't get away from I can't be free. I'm addicted. That's what it is. Starts when they're babies. Hard-hearted, which means from the Hebrew, what comes from broken the broken house. I don't know about you, but that just simply blows my mind. How do you make a child like this hard-hearted? Grow them up in a broken home. 
Broken means it's not functional. It doesn't work very well. It's guaranteed that they will develop a hard heart when they're hearing a preacher teach, a husband teach, a husband correct them, a, a, a leader to lead them in their job. It goes on and on and on. Hard hearts can be read on people's faces within seconds of meeting them. And if you don't believe me, open your eyes. Softness is seen on people's faces within eight seconds. And all you're really seeing, soft heart is soft lessons, hard lessons. It's up to you how you want to learn. God just says, I'm going to teach you whether you like it or not. You can have a hard lesson or a soft lesson. But I'm connecting it today to the mother. If you have a mother that has to learn the hard way, then you might have to learn the hard way as well. Rebellion. If you remember, I originally told you, it's, it was used to be pronounced rebellion, rebellion, detachment from the belly. It's directly, the word is directly connected to a mother. What comes from bitter waters? Rebellion in the world is directly associated with women, with the mother. Does that mean man does not carry the responsibility? Are you kidding? Man has the full responsibility because of that. And it doesn't mean she's bad. It means it's her responsibility as a mother to make sure that her children do not lack an understanding of what this really means, what submission really means, what caretaking really means, what, what all those things of motherhood really mean, which we're going to go down the list here real quick. Secrecy means to prop the door. It's like you got family secrets, and you shove that door shut, and you put a stick up against that door so no one can come in and see your house. That is what this does. From being birthed and grown up in a household, it develops a propped door. The number one sin that's connected, according to the New Testament, to us, and that God uses again in James 4, where he, where he says, when he uses the term, if you are friends with the world, you're hostile toward God. Hostility, if you remember correctly, is the same word as hospitable. It's required of Christians. I wanted you to hear the Proverbs 31 stuff because most every verse is associated with hospitality. Inviting, inviting, inviting. It is a woman's job to invite. It's the Holy Spirit's job to invite. So when that one thing is broken, the children run. Even if they're submissive, they're running in their hearts. This is very critical. Unclean, surrounded by chaos. Literally translates out as surrounded by a snake. So unclean house means there's chaos in your mind, in your children, in your life. It's chaos. The way God gives us order is through external order. 
That's why he gave us the law. He has laws for sundry for clean women and clean men. If he said, if you keep these laws, you will keep my commandments. You've, you do not keep these laws, you will find this in your camp. So what people do is they attack the behavior of their cousins or mothers or fathers or brothers or sisters. They attack so far out away from the source of the problem that they won't get their own household in order. And that is the first mandate. Put your house in order. That's why the, one of the mandates of this home here is we do not go to sleep until this house is in order. Physically. Then emotionally. And then spiritually. It's not always met. Because I understand what God said is put your household in order. And if your household is not in order, you can't preach. Well, I've been preaching a long time. And God's been using this and grinding his sword, sharpening his sword on my very mind with this. It's critical, guys, I'm telling you. The way you understand someone's heart is by looking at their garage. It's the truth. You say, oh, no, that's legalism. Oh, really? Then you're not understanding the scriptures. But if you're only working on your garage and not your heart, then that's legalism. But the externals are a reflection of the heart. Jesus said that. Said it as some of the old prophets. Here's a good list, gals. I just grabbed a few, about 18, 19 of them. These are a few of the actual Hebrew words, and I'm going to give them to you in English of what God says about you. He's, these, these are actually Hebrew words associated with water. The actual term of mother. She is able to do all to work that is complete. Now when I hear Proverbs, excuse me, Proverbs 31, I'm like, that lady is beyond capable. No, that lady was the norm for a Hebrew woman. It's a part of who she is, is to do all. So when women have this, go through these periods about feeling sorry for themselves, I do it all, I do it all, I do it all, I do it all. Well, of course you do in your job. But in the man's job, we're going to learn here in a few weeks, his responsibility is way beyond this list because he's responsible for this list happening in his home. A lot of ladies in their older years realize that. I'd hate to have my husband's job. But if he's lazy, then she's going to feel like she's the workhorse. Beautiful, the hand deed that is spoken of something wonderful. Well, women are actually created to be beautiful, even if you think you're ugly. So this is a reflection of the wonder and beauty of the face of God. 
So God uses women to attract men. Well, if they stop at the external body, it'll turn to lust. But if she uses her beauty to attract the man, to lead him to the word. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, if you have disobedient husbands to the word, win them to the word without a word, but by your just and pure behavior. You see, she brings the man, bypasses her, and leads him to the word. And it's her beauty that does that, spiritually, psychologically, and physically. Belly, which means, remember the word we use, rebellion? Belly is the house that surrounds life. Pregnant. Now once the child's out, the house. The woman is responsible for what, what the house looks like on the inside. And the way you find out what her heart looks like is by looking on the inside of her belly. The way you find out how healthy she is as a mother is by what she's eating, what she's putting in. And that's why Jesus said, which is actually written in the Hebrew, what is put into the mouth, into the belly, proceeds out of the belly. What you give your children spiritually, psychologically, and physically is going to come out through your children. Belly. You are responsible for that house. Your husband is responsible for the outside of the house. Protection, fences, painting, whatever else comes with it. And if he holds to that, she holds to the inside, the children get the balance between order externally and order internally. The inside of a house is symbolic of a woman. If you have a messy house on the inside of your house, you have messy daughters. You have messy sons. If you don't believe me, open your eyes. God gave us the women to take care of the inside of the house to design the inside of the child. God gave us structural protection on the outside of the house to bring structure in the child's life. Instead of walking into Walmart and going, can I have, can I have... Can I have? It's an automatic no when they walk into a store. Unless it's given to them as a blessing. That takes work. Bind. What follows the nail? Sure, my children are born into sin. They're nailed on certain things. I am what follows the nail. Which is grace. It's forgiveness. It's freedom. It's healing. Blessed, fire on the head. Someone give me a New Testament illustration of this, please. In Acts, we have what? The woman on the head. You see, the man is the man, and the woman is the fire on the head of a man. She is his passion. She is his light. She is his radiance. She is his glory almost. I know it says her hair is her glory. But you see, she is fire on his head. And when God used that whole illustration with the Holy Spirit being put upon those disciples' heads, he is clearly sticking to Hebrew. That's why when I do these teachings on the Holy Spirit and woman and Jesus Christ and man and all that, it's just 
thick with Hebrew and a lot of people want to argue with me on it and I go, you do not understand Hebrew. If you understood Hebrew, you'll see it's thick. Not one story in the New Testament is outside Hebrew. Not one. It's all in there. You just have to see it. Bosom is the chamber inside. You know a picture of, uh, did you know, and the mother's hanging on to that baby, holding the baby's head to her bosom. There's no safer place to be than in the bosom of your mother. What if you have a mother that wouldn't breastfeed? What if you have a mother that couldn't breastfeed? What if you had a mother that wasn't affectionate? You're going to have a detached child who becomes their own bosom. Happens to be one of the 43 names of God. The breasted one. You see, the woman is used by God to draw that detached man unto her so she can connect him to the bosom of God. Without women, we have no gospel. That's why a man should not be alone. It is a special anointing on a single man to live his whole life without being married. It takes a very special anointing because it doesn't work. And the average age of marriage today is? It's 28 years old. Satan is pushing it farther and farther down the road. Why? Because I have to live out my career. I've got to finish college. I've got to, whatever. Meanwhile, men are running wild in lust. Do you know when you were supposed to get married? Twelve years of age, women start getting periods. Mary was 13 years old when she gave birth to Jesus Christ. Do you know how much took place between zero and 12 to prepare this 13-year-old to bear the seed of God? Not much. She was a part of Hebrew design. Why does God give women periods at 12 years of age? Because they're supposed to have children at 13. So when you delay 13 to 15, 15 to 18, because of the Industrial Revolution, 18 to 21, 21 to 25, 25 to 28, until, here's my prediction, it's not worth a blasted thing actually, not even a cup of coffee, but my prediction is that the end result in just within 5 to 10 years is going to be there will be no marriage. They're going to argue about it in Congress to the point of dissolving the institution of marriage. I was in meetings in Washington with under the, the, the uh, administration of George W. Bush where they actually had discussions of dissolving the institution of marriage in America and going with common law. Okay. I'm, uh, I can assure you it's because Satan hates what you're looking at. Yeah. Hates it. The woman is so significant in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you think Satan's attacking women and men in marriages. He is not. He's attacking the gospel of Jesus Christ. You put this in a history book and make fun of it and you can introduce a world to any kind of leader you want. 
and you want to be quite curious about this, which I haven't done it, you will start to see it a little bit next week, is to take the opposite of these words. And that's how women feel up against a man today. Breath, which means life of the name. Whose name? Her husband's name. That's why there's no female names in any culture today. Only daddy's names. Bride, well, that doesn't surprise any of us. It means all, complete, as if perfect. So bride is the wife, is the completer of the husband. That's what a bride is from the Hebrew. Compassion is the passion of the shepherd. Who's the shepherd? Dad. When you get married, your husband. It's just the husband, when we get to those lists, his passions better be of Jesus Christ. And then the congregation, she literally is to display to the children how a congregation works. It's not the role of the father or the husband. He's the preacher. The wife is to show congregation. Here's how body life works. It's how the congregation is supposed to be functioning behind the staff or the shepherd. So obviously if Satan throws this off, I'm not getting behind that, that structural authority, power of the shepherd. This can also be translated out behind the power of the man. Well, I can tell you about how most women are going to feel by me just making that statement. Daughter is the sign of the house. Literally the sign that is out on the outside of that house is to represent she is a daughter of another name. She is like when people look at the house and say, hey, it's a beautiful home. That should be a direct reflection on the woman of the home because when he's in the gates with all the leaders in the city, and they talk about the good reputation of the sign on the house because of this daughter, your wife. Those two come together so the man in the, who is known in the gates is known in the gates because of his woman. Not because of what he's accomplishing. But I mean, every great man is a great daughter of the house. Desire what comes from the father. She's literally the desire of the household. I can sit back, so can you, it's no big deal. And you watch a family function. And, and, and as a trained biblical counselor, I watch for desire, passion, energy, the world calls it. I, I, I find out where the desire is, and then I see where it moves. And a lot of times the desire, you can be engaged, for example, uh, and having two uh, males in a room talking and a female, could be a daughter, could be a mother, could be a neighbor. And if that woman comes in and takes the desire of that conversation and moves it away, it is direct offense on this. She is to represent the desire of the man and join in with that discussion, not lead it away. She is the passion the desire, the energy, the motion, emotion, 
of the home. So it's very, very, very hard for a woman to keep that desire from moving because she may not like the conversation. She may not like the decisions that are being talked about. Keeping that passion right there because if she doesn't, he'll go get his own. What is the reason for a man lusting after another woman? Just put the words in place. What is the reason for a man lusting after desire somewhere else? Because someone's robbing and stealing. Moving and shifting. Now I know when we talk about true design and structure of male-female, I'm going to offend people. I, I know that. What I am teaching is so old school, I feel old in teaching it. But it's truth. Whether someone hates hearing this or loves hearing it, it is the truth. And the man's list that's coming up is going to be a whole lot tougher on the guys than this is on the ladies. It's very long. Encourage. Take ing off of it and you have courage. It is an imparting of courage. This wife is to take courage and fill her husband with courage. Yes, you can do that, honey. Yes, you are. It's taking courage and pouring it into her man. What follows his vision. Men are visionaries. Even if they don't believe they have the gift, it's not actually a gift of the spirit. I think that's interesting. But they are the visionary of the home. Now, he can't do anything without courage. Zilch. So where does he go to get his courage? Maybe he's a scholar. Or maybe he's, you know, interested in getting compliments. Someone who is compliment thirsty is someone who does not have a woman encouraging them. It's not compliments. It's courage. It's taking everything she is, a whole basket of Proverbs 31, and pouring it into her husband. There's no way that man cannot be successful. Impossible. Faithful life of the mother. The very life that comes out of the mother is faith. That's why the Holy Spirit is associated with faith. Fashion? I know what we're used to hearing as fashion is the, you know, the gold shoes or the high heels or, you know, whatever. But fashion actually is a Hebrew word. And it means what comes from hard work. It's what you fashion, what you mold. Well, she is one who fashions. So Satan takes fashion and moves it over to fashion. Hair, necklaces. Remember what Peter said? Not, do not let your adornment be only braided hair, necklaces, fashion. And he was actually addressing this issue of fashion. Mold him! Fashion him! <laughs> well, how do I do that? Well, I know it's been a while, but you can mold him without a word. Lead him to be obedient to the word. It's powerful. Garden. To lift up life. Do you know that man actually put him inside woman? 
See, man was actually created outside the garden. Just go back and read it. It wasn't created inside the garden. Woman was not there after God created man. And he put man in the garden to work. So here's the order. God created the work environment. Created man. Put man in the work environment. So why are men constantly wanting to work in the garage? Duh. And then he puts them in the garage, and then he's in there working in the garage, you know, and he's like, it's not, it's not, don't feel complete. So he calls out to God. God wanted him to feel incomplete. Or he could have taken Eve right there outside the garden, taken the rib and formed her and put them both in the garden. That's not what he did. Garden actually means a part of woman. It's in her. It's a more graphic term to use, but I won't use it. And man, God put man inside her to form life. The natural to understand the supernatural, even God's creation is in sexual reproduction. God never misses a heartbeat in design. Every single bit of creation has the gospel of Jesus Christ in it. Learn to control, change the water according to the shepherd. So there's this water coming at you. Power, strength. The woman is to use her abilities, all these things, to move that water in the direction the shepherd wants it to go. Not to take it and decide for herself. She's a water controller. I grew up with three brothers, well, two brothers, I was the third, and three sisters. Constant battle between strong water and passive resistance. So now, I get a blessed family and I have three daughters, plus my wife. I got strong water coming at me right and left all day long. That doesn't count the hormones. So God says, Stephen, I am going to master this truth in you. Because it just happens to be something you're going to see in every church, in every family, in all of life. So it's a part of the message God gave me as a teacher-preacher to actually understand and to teach men how to take all that strength and power and move it in the direction that it needs to go, but that cannot be done without my wife. Why do women feel consumed and, and heavy laden and washed over? Is because the husband, first of all, she is not channeling the water to the responsibility of the husband, so she gets consumed by it. And secondly, he just lets her drown in it. So. <laughs> You make all the decisions anyway. So why not? Not a good approach. Miracle means stops the mouth. There's a whole sermon on this one. You'll probably get it someday. The term in the Greek and in the Hebrew means shut your mouth. So if you want God to do a miracle, shut your mouth. Male, female, doesn't make any difference here. Do you want God to do a miracle? Shut your mouth. 
Don't try to control it. Let go. And I will do a miracle. So when the ladies finally figure out, you mean I don't have to say a word to lead my husband to the word? Shut your mouth. And God will do a miracle. Oh, I don't believe that. That man can't grow without me. Shut your mouth. It means miracle. Miracle. That's what he's saying. Miracle. In other words, it's going to take a miracle to put this man obedient to the word. The sermon in that one all by itself. Final one is obey, and that is to see the name. Obeying God is to see the name of God. Obeying Jesus Christ as your husband is to see the name of Jesus. Obeying your husband is to see the name of your husband. Whoever has the name has the authority. You don't ever forget that piece. You can live your whole life without reading the Word of God. And make it. And 86% of the world can't read the Bible. Today. Because they're either illiterate, they don't have Bibles, or whatever. If you understand that... Who, whose name? Whose name is on this building? Walmart. Okay. Obey their rules. Uh, whose name is my, my husband? Obey your rules. Okay. Whose name is my God? Oh, that's Jesus Christ. Well, if he doesn't know what the rules are, then he's led to go find out what the rules are. This one principle will save your marriage. Too simple. Jesus offers complete freedom to the from the lies of the enemy. He wants every woman to know that there is a way of escape and that the enemy has no power to enslave women in believing things that stop them from demonstrating true freedom and power to men and children. Jesus knows that women are the aspect of his father's creation that points the way back to the father. This is accomplished through women using their design and influence to point children and other women back to their husbands slash fathers to be ministered to and ultimately led back to God the Father. Last verse in the Old Testament is? Anybody? There shall come a day when he will restore the he that is being spoken of. There is Elijah, the song we sang. These are the days of Elijah. There will come a day when he, Elijah, will restore the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the children back to their fathers. Least I come and smite your land with a curse. It's my life verse God gave me in my teens. He says, you will die with this on your tongue. That is my ultimate mission is to restore children back to their fathers. Fathers back to their children. And I can't do it without the mothers. If a child does not get what I just said, he will never meet God the Father on good terms. All works together. Moms are so incredibly needed. And if she functions on any other design outside of Hebrew, she will function as an independent, arrogant woman who will mislead many. 
So when you hear scriptures about Paul saying, but the woman sinned first, and it all sounds like the Bible is against women, then you have got issues. Because it's not what they're saying. It's saying, find your, your role. Leave his alone. You find yours, husband, male. Leave hers alone. Your gifting and abilities are to complete him so that he may carry out restoring his heart to his children and his children to him so that I don't come and wipe you all out. Do you know how many families are being wiped out by the Lord today? I don't even want to talk about it. It grieves me. Children hate their parents. They hate strong teachers. They hate patriarchs. They hate orders. They hate rules. Because of this. Why? The mothers are off busying themselves with things that are none of their business. And men are entertaining mushy stuff that belong to women, emotive, that they shouldn't be. Man should be man, Woman should be woman so a child can be a child of the living God. Father, I pray this prayer for every woman, for every mother. I know that you have given us women to be the completer and helper for men. I believe all of what you stated in the scriptures saying uh, regarding the role of a woman and I believe she is a co-heir of the grace and that you have made her perfect in your sight. I renounce all ways that man has attempted to make her less than man. I accept her and the way you have created her. I choose now to pray for all women that are being used and mistreated by men. And I ask that you would protect her and her children from the men that tend to take advantage of her and the way you have made her. And I claim your peace for all those who are in abusive relationships. And I ask that you would show all men you have given women to mankind to complete them, not to abuse them. These things I pray in the blessed name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.